crazy girl that really likes horses. So I think I enjoy getting up and seeing them and working with them. And I, you know, it's just, it's my life. Welcome to the Charles Owen podcast. Charles Owen has been manufacturing high-performance, stylish riding helmets since 1911. And to celebrate its 110th birthday, we are interviewing a range of riders, from the biggest names in equestrian sport to up-and-coming superstars. In these exclusive interviews, they reveal their highs and lows and share their secret to success in this challenging sport. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Charles Owen Podcast. Thank you for joining us. 40 years, I believe it is, that you've been competing in show jumping. How has the sport changed during that time? Um, Well, uh, you know, it's changed immensely, but particularly for myself, being from the United States, I think that, you know, in the US back in the 70s and 80s, really all there were then were um, what we called open jumper riders. So they were there were sort of the elite level of riders, uh, the ones who would go to the Olympics or the ones who would jump on Nations Cup teams. And there weren't, there was no such thing really as a uh, junior or young rider, no, no such thing as young riders. There was uh, no pony jumping. There was nothing like that. Basically what we did wow. were um, American hunters. So we rode uh, hunter ponies and then you moved on to hunter horses you did what what they still do a lot of in America. So what does that mean exactly, the hunter? What, what does that involve? Well, hunters, it, it's, it, it's the best way I can describe it is it's judged on style and uh, it's a little bit like comparing figure skating to speed skating. So uh, hunters are judged. Uh, they jump, you know, different heights, but never, I think the highest they jump is four foot. Um, and it's really on style and smoothness and, and, uh, I w I don't want to call it a beauty contest because it's actually, a, it's hard to do well. I mean, it, it, it's a difficult sport. It's, it's actually, uh, the jumping form of dressage, you know, you're having to do things very accurately and, and without basically no one telling that you're doing it. Um, so it's not easy to do, but that's really what I grew up doing. It sounds like a good grounding for show jumping. It is. Uh, actually, um, moving forward, as as we were talking about the business changing, it wasn't really until the 1990s that the United States started to sort of get with the rest of the world and there started to be junior jump. We called them junior jumpers and amateur jumpers and uh, a higher level of jumping. And um, anyhow, uh, it was probably then, maybe in the... Yeah. 1990s that I actually really took an interest in in that end of the horse industry. Yeah. And say in the 1990s, it was in 1992, wasn't it, that you were selected as a reserve for the Barcelona Olympics. Now, that was the first time you'd ever even left America, wasn't it? So what was that like? Um, it was, well, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I it just an incredible experience, really, because I was riding a thoroughbred uh that had been a racehorse um that a friend of mine had developed into a show jumper he asked me to ride it uh he wanted me to do the olympic trials i was like yeah you know why not <laughs> i'll do the olympic trials not really having any idea that <laughs> that's something that would be in my future um and as as luck would have it i ended up 
after I think we jumped 10 trials at the end of the 10 trials, I was, I was the fifth. So, uh, yeah, I had to go quickly get a passport, um, so that I could get to Barcelona and it was really eye opening. I think for me that was, I'd never, obviously I'd never left our country. I'd never, I'd, I'd heard of Nick Skelton. I'd heard of John Whitaker, (laughs) but I didn't really understand sort of what it was like. You know, I'd seen some of them when they came to the United States to jump, um, but to go to, and for my first international horse show to be the Olympics, that was, um, you know, I got to see obviously the best of the best. And while I was there watching, I just thought this, this is what I want to do. Um, this is, this is the direction I want to go. I want to be able to, I want to be able to come and compete at this level against these people. And, um, you know, that sort of became my focus. Um, it took me about eight more years to sort of work it so that I could get to that point, but that it was at that moment that I realized that's what I wanted. To go back to the 2000 Olympics, is that right? And then 2008, you won gold at Beijing? Yep. And that yep. was with Cedric? Yes, with Cedric. He, he was quite a character, wasn't he? Yes, he he was a character. He um and still is. He's he's at home at the farm and he's he's as uh you would you would have no idea that he's 22 years old. I mean, he still acts like he's 10. But uh he was he was um he was an incredibly talented horse uh that was oh, you know, you 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 couldn't rest for one second uh, or you'd be on the ground. I mean, he was just very sharp and very, very uh, aware of everything. I, wow. He saw things. I used to say he sees ghosts because he'd see things that weren't there. But uh, he was just an incredible jumper. And I was yes. just so fortunate to have him um, and have people around me that had the faith in him that he could do it. In particular, George Morris, who was our chef to keep uh it was really he he believed in that horse so much i'm not sure that a lot of other people would have put me on the team that year just because of how um oh he could be inconsistent you know he he could he he would be perfect but then he could also yeah. have me on the ground which is not always the best person to take to a championship but um george just had complete faith in him and it, well, it, it certainly paid off, didn't it? Uh, it did. And and also, Team Gold at WEG in 2018. What was that like? I mean, winning on home turf. That was amazing. Um, and that was actually on another horse, Zeremony, who uh, we got as a five-year-old. So again, it was sort of one that I developed and brought along. And not only was it on home turf, but it was actually, uh, I grew up in that area. So from uh, my very first, what we call A-rated horse show, was in Tryon, North Carolina in 1976. So um, that was really home turf for me. Um, So it was, uh, it was just, yeah, I mean, again, we had to be in a jump off. I said, you know, we had to be in a jump off in, in Hong Kong or Beijing for that gold medal. And then we had to be in a jump off in Tryon, yes. um, which is is nerve wracking, to say the least. But um, I I don't know. I don't know which one was 
I would say they're on, on an even par because just to be at home and have the support of so many people, uh, it, it was just thrilling. And you talked a bit about when you first came to Europe and you mentioned the likes of, you know, the mighty Nick Skelton and John Whittaker. And I bet you didn't at that point think you might actually end up with Nick Skelton, um, who is now <laughs> your partner. Um, how did you and Nick, how did you get together? How did that come about? Um, we just, you know, we, we, I, I met, I mean, I met him then I knew him, um, and I didn't see him at all, uh, actually probably from then until I remember hearing that he'd broken his neck. Um, and that was sort of the shot heard around the world. I remember, you know, everyone was talking about it. Um, and then I would say maybe six years later, um, he was in Spruce Meadows and we just met and got to be friends and, and, you know, did some business together and just, I don't know, it just sort of evolved. I mean, then we just became, uh, well, I mean, we enjoyed the same thing. We were doing the same thing. We were doing a lot of the, um, same work together and it just, yeah, it, that's how it went. How many years ago was that? It's been a long time now. I would say it's for 13, 14 years. And how how much of an influence has he been on your riding? Well, I mean, tremendous. I, I you know, if when you're around somebody like like Nick, who has such an incredible history of uh, horsemanship, riding, um, training, just general horse knowledge, uh, to be able to mm-hmm. to feed off of that and to uh, sort of work together. Also, I mean, I think. Uh, to share ideas and to bounce mm. ideas off of it's um I mean I think I wouldn't even be able to know how much it's affected my riding I do know that uh I think I became a stronger rider just basically by being based over yeah. here and uh having to compete you know with with the likes of Nick and everyone else you know it makes you a little bit stronger a little bit tougher you mean you had to kind of up your game yeah, I mean, I think not that there aren't fantastic riders in the United States, because there are. I mean, yeah. particularly right now, I mean, uh, to compete against the the riders, some of the riders that are there right now is very, very difficult. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, I just think that, yeah, it was a different, There's a, it's a different system over here. And I think, you know, when you see... You, I could take a bit of what system works at home and then, and then Im- implement... The bit of the system over here and I think it just made it a, a, a better I, I just felt like I was a stronger horseman slash rider sure sure and how does it work because obviously you've got your business back in the states with your sister Mary Elizabeth so but you're here and you're well you're in Europe aren't you for a chunk of the year so how does it work with being in Europe and being at Nick's place and then also running the business back home well actually so what we do is my sister is in Europe or in England I should say our students they they go back and forth with us so um like they're all here right now and they'll stay here normally until November and then Mm -hmm. we'll head to Florida um and do the shows in Florida. And then actually in the last few years, we've done the Sunshine Tour in Spain, which, so I've sort of gone back and forth between Florida and Spain, which has been nice. And um, yeah, I mean, it, she's she's pretty much wherever I am, or she'll go, you know, to a show somewhere and I'll go somewhere else, uh, depending on what's happening on the weekend. 
Um, but yeah, without her, I would, I would really struggle because she really does, uh, she does all the work that I really don't like doing, which is organizing and, and, uh, you know, making sure the horses are being shipped where they need to go. Their paperwork is in order and all those little details, which I've just never been that good at. She's, she's amazing. So it sounds like that she maybe got the short straw. She's doing all the all the admin and you get all the fun stuff, all the riding stuff. So how did how did she never did she want to compete at any point? Well, funny that you asked that. I mean, she did. She we both grew up riding together. Um and she was she was and she was incredible. She was she had she was a very very good hunter rider. She was better than I was, I think by a mile. But she never loved the competition part of it. I think, uh, nerves or I don't know. It just, by the time she got to her early twenties, she, she basically made up her mind that she just didn't really like it. She didn't want to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. which I still say is a shame because she, she was very, very good at it. Um, Mm. she had this incredible ability to ride a horse and get things done without looking like she was doing anything. Um, and she just was very good at it, but she didn't enjoy it. And I, on the other hand, I always loved competition. You know, I, I mean, when we were little, I would race her, you know, I'd race her to the car. I, you know, it was always, I was always competitive and she was kind of, yeah, that's, she was more always the detail person. So it actually went, I think she would say I got the short straw, I guess if you (laughs) ask her. You obviously love competing. Um, do you feel, I mean, has it got easier as you got older? Do you still feel as competitive as you ever did? Uh, yeah, I mean, I do feel as competitive. And, and uh, sometimes I think I'm more realistic, maybe, at times mm-hmm. than I used to be. I mean, I, you know, I there were times where I would think I, I'm going to go in and get this one when in actuality I would have had no chance. Um, now I, I'm probably seeing things a little bit more clearly and maybe I will ride just to maybe produce a clear, uh, rather than go in and risk having a few down because the horse isn't, uh, knowledgeable enough or it's too green. But I would say I'm definitely still as competitive. I, I, I still really enjoy competing and, um, yeah, I want to keep going as long as I can. I don't know how long that'll be, but I hope it's still a while. Because Nick retired when he was 59. That's another five years away, isn't that for you? So do you, are you do you reckon you're gonna stay stay there longer than Nick? Well, I don't know whether I'll. I mean, I think a lot is a, a lot of it has to do with uh, how mm-hmm. physically strong you stay. I mean, I think for Nick, he would have kept going, uh, but you know, he had so many he had so many issues, and then I think when Big Star had his issue. It was yes. sort of a joint decision, you know, we'll retire the horse, retire the rider, and then that's that. I've been fortunate, I'm going to knock on wood, uh, I, that, you know, physically I feel still good and strong. And I think I'll keep going as long as I feel like I'm doing a good job. Um, yeah. The minute I think I'm not able to do the job that I want to do, then then I'll do something else. But I will always, always be involved in this sport. I mean, it's... You know, then I'll go to teaching more or maybe just, you know, 
riding at home or doing whatever but I, I think I will I hopefully will be able to ride for a long long time are you involved in the racing side of things obviously Nick's sons are involved in the racing is that does that have any interest to you uh it does I actually really enjoy it um unfortunately you know I'm not home all the time to really keep up with and they have so many horses so uh you know half the time I don't even know the ones that are running but I try to watch (laughs) when I can and I try to go racing when I can um and of course I just enjoy following them because they're just uh an incredible team I mean, again, and it's fun for me to see because obviously my sister and myself have have done this as a business and then to watch the two of them. um, And they're similar, you know, they get along well, they, they, you know, Dan is obviously on the one end of it and Harry's on the other, not dissimilar to my sister and I. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's fun to watch. And I think, uh, yeah, it's always fun to be a part of a winning winning group so um yeah I try to follow it and obviously as as time goes on and then I will hopefully be able to do more sure um your son Bobby he's not involved in horses is he he's taken quite a different career path yeah he's uh well he he rode and he did very he did well um but it was never his passion I mean you know right from the beginning I could tell that it wasn't he wasn't uh this wasn't going to be his life um he enjoys it. He likes being around the horses and he's actually with me right now. Oh, okay, uh, nice. So he's been, you know, riding a bit and doing his part, but, but basically he's, uh, he's in school. He'll go back to, he goes to Boston college. So he goes back there in August and he is studying, uh, he wants to be involved in film, not the acting okay. end of it, but more of the screenwriting and, sure. uh, he writes, uh, he's, I, I think in my humble opinion, he writes well, um, (laughs) and he's creative. And so that's sort of the end of it that he wants to do. So anyways, we'll see where it takes him. Outside of horses, do you have other interests? Do you have time to do other stuff? Like, do you go to the cinema? Do you watch movies? I love movies. I actually, I, I, I would go to the cinema as much as possible um, if there's something to go see. Now, I do. I, I like to read. I like going to the movies. I like to play golf if we ha- ever have time. Um, I do like to do other things. Just something that take because this is sort of all-encompassing. Mm. I mean, you know, you we sort of wake up in the morning thinking about the horses all day you're thinking about it at night normally you're at dinner talking about it you know so it's it's quite nice to go and do something that's that gets your mind off and yes. gives you a little bit of a break so uh yeah i enjoy other things and and the fact that he likes movies that also gives us something in common so we we like to go and i mean he has a collection of i don't even know how many hundreds of movies so we'll pull out an old movie and watch that and it's it's yeah, it's nice. So, sorry, so Nick has loads of old movies. No, no, sorry, Bobby. Okay. Bobby. Bob, <laughs> my son. You, He's the you. one with the... No, <laughs> Nick, Nick only likes old movies. <laughs> I always joke with Nick. He doesn't like to watch anything that's any, any uh, later than 1980. Like, everything is old. <laughs> old movies for him. So I have to convince him to watch uh, something that's been made in the last 10 years. That's very funny. Um, and normally he likes it, but he, he'd much rather watch uh, something from 1950. Can you, me- can you remember the last, the last movie you watched together? 
Well, actually, we were trying last night to watch Mission Impossible 4, or one of them, and uh, we couldn't get the sound to work well enough, so we, we hung <laughs> it up on that one. Um, but uh, probably, I don't know, we watch, we do watch a fair amount of movies, so I don't know, maybe, actually, I don't know, I don't remember, but we, we do go see a lot of movies, particularly when we're in America, because that's sort of a thing to do there. Yeah. Is any particular British TV show you've got into? Strictly Come Dancing, Bake anything like that? <laughs> well, we were really into Britain's Got Talent. And uh, what was the other one? Okay. Um, the singing one with Simon. I can't think of the name of it. But anyways, for years we've watched that. Uh, oh, God, I can't believe that's hilarious. It's massive. Right now, I can't remember either, but of course it's huge. Yeah. It's on a Saturday night. Yeah. That's so funny. We I can't know. Remember. I can't think of it. Anyways, <laughs> love that. Yeah. And then, of course, I've seen every um, Only Fools and Horses like at least twice, maybe three times, because Nick is obsessed with that. Oh, that's um, funny. But I love, actually, I like British. I like uh, British television. I like uh, Broadchurch and. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. A lot of them. What is the name of that show? I know. Do you know, we're going to have to, I think actually I might even have to pause because it's so insane. Hang on one second. It's so insane that we can't remember, right? This is ridiculous. I'm going to have to look it up. It's crazy. I know. It's completely ridiculous. X Factor. Um, X Factor. Oh my God. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. We loved X Factor. I mean, that, and particularly because it would come on in like November, December, and it was, yeah, nice. You can sit in front of the fire and watch X Factor. So, yeah. Those yeah. are those yeah. are the ones. I wasn't into Strictly Come Dancing that much. Back to the horses. So for almost two decades, you've been at the top of your sport. What would you say in all of that? In all, well, just in your career and your life, what's been your greatest achievement, do you think? Oh, um, that's, yeah. Uh, I think, well, I mean, obviously to win the gold medal in in Hong Kong and and in Tryon, just for the two championships. I mean, I think it, that for me, I, I love being a part of a team that accomplished that and, and mm. that I was able to contribute to it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think the accomplishments just are always on a daily basis, small things that that you find you've done well, whether it's with a young horse or with a student or, you know, I think that's what keeps you going in this is that um every morning there's the, the mm-hmm. it's a new day and there's something that you can learn or something that can go poorly or it yes. can go well yeah i mean i i don't i don't know if it's about just one accomplishment or two accomplishments it's sort of the maybe it's the it's the 20 years at the top of the sport or not at the top but it, to be able to compete at a top level for 20 years mm-hmm. might maybe would be more so Leading on from that, you mentioned it there. I was going to say, after all of these years and all all of your success, what gets you out of bed in the morning? I'm still sort of that horse crazy girl that really likes horses. So I think you know, I I I enjoy getting up and seeing them and and working with them and uh, I you know, it's just it's my life. I mean, I I I would I'd be bored silly if I didn't have have this to do so I think and it's the challenge of it um mm, again yeah. even with the teaching part of it um it during the whole lockdown uh I had a few of the students there and it was mm-hmm. really actually a nice time we got to really go back and 
sort of go back to basics and work on things that we don't have time to do when we're going from show to show and week to week. So, um, and then watching them make improvements and seeing progress for them was actually really gratifying. And, and it, you know, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that. It sort of made me remember why I like to teach, you know, is, is, is seeing them improve and, seeing them understand why why it's fun and why it can be rewarding. We've also got a few questions from Charles Edwin fans which have been sent in to us. And one of the first questions we've got here is from QS Horse Life who wants to know who was your first pony and what were they like? <laughs> oh, my first pony, his name was Siamese Cat. And he was... Um, not really sure what he was. I think he was maybe a Welsh pony. He was little. He was about eleven two, and he was buckskin. So I don't know if that if that's such a color in England, but he was sort of a not palomino, but I don't know, funny color. And he had a black mane and a black tail. Yeah, we we call it done. Done. Yeah. Okay. Oh, he was, I fell off him nearly every day. He was, he was, he was a rat and I absolutely loved him. Like it didn't matter if he threw me off. I still loved him. I, you know, just everything about him. So, um, he was my first pony and I think I persevered with him, uh, two or three years and then I moved on. I think I got him when I was five. I don't know. I think we paid a hundred dollars for him. <laughs> he was great though. Is it right that you were spotted by a particular barn that he wanted you to ride for them when you were only about 12? Yeah, we were very fortunate. Uh, there was uh, uh, two women that were in Atlanta, Georgia, and they were they had really good ponies. They were very much into the pony hunter breeding and, and competing. And um, out of the blue, they called my mother um, and asked if I would be willing to ride their ponies. They didn't really know my sister because she had, she hadn't been she'd been at the show but I had been competing and she hadn't uh but luckily they uh, my mother said well I would do it and then there was also my sister so they took us both and uh from the time I was 12 until I was 18 19 uh I I worked and rode ponies and horses for them as did my sister so amazing, amazing experience. And so you've spoken about how you decided to pursue a career in show yeah. jumping. It was partly coming to, to Europe. So Macy, uh, Macy Lover, 2006, just really wanted to ask that question. I mean, obviously you start, you had the hunter background. And so what was it? That, what was the point where you realised you wanted to pursue a career in show jumping? Was there a particular pivotal moment? Um, I don't know that there was a pivotal moment. I just think... I. I I knew I would always be involved with horses. There was just there was no question about that. To what degree or how I was going to do it, I didn't know. Um I had to go to school. I had to I I was I had to go to college, which my father was really adamant, you know, you're going to go to college. So I reluctantly applied to college, reluctantly <laughs> went to a college. I went for one semester which is yes. one sort of term. And um, at the end of it, uh, I said to my dad, I said, you know, this is a, a, a colossal waste of time and money because I, I want to do the horses. And he said, I think I was 18 then, and he said, well, that's, 
that's fine if that's your decision, but then you have to make a go of it on your own. And I said, not a problem. <laughs> I'll do that. And that was that. I dropped out of college and I went, I started grooming um, and braiding, which in America is a different, <laughs> you braid their manes, not plat them. And anyways, you get $10 for a mane. And I did a lot of braiding and grooming and a bit of riding. And then it all just sort of evolved into, into what it is now. So you're, you're clearly not afraid of hard work and it sounds like you're quite tough and determined and maybe stubborn. Do you think those attributes have set you in good stead for, for your sport and that's helped you stay at the top of the sport? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, sometimes I think I should be more tough. <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah, I mean, I think in, in any industry, in any business, I think if you want to achieve what you know you if you want to get to a particular level or get to the highest end of whatever that is that you're involved in I think you have to be determined obviously and you have to be able to take the good with the bad which is a little bit of the toughness um and yeah I mean I I would say that if somebody wanted to to you know if they were 10 years old now or 12 years old and, and they said they wanted to be a show jumper that would, you know, I would say you main thing is you've got to definitely be able to take uh, negative, you know, you've got you've got to be able to accept that things aren't going to be great all the time that horses get sick, they go lame, uh, you make mistakes. Um, it, it's it's it, it is what it is. And you've got to be able to live with that and and keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep moving on. Mm. So um I guess in that way, yeah, I mean, that's that's determination and you've just got to have the goal in front of you and not let anything sort of stop you. You'll yeah. get roadblocks, but you got to go around them and keep going. And would you say out of you and Nick, is one of you, you know, is that like a good cop, bad cop? Is is, is one of you the tough one, the soft one, or do you have different approaches? Um, well, I mean, for sure he would, I mean, he he's definitely the tougher uh tougher minded. I mean, he, he's actually incredible when it came to competing because he just, you know, he, he could put his mind on something and that was it. You know, it was just, it was straight on, you know, he, he was going to win a gold medal on big star in Rio. And he had that plan from a year back, you know, and, and as we, even we're there in Rio, he's like, I, I'm here, I am winning this gold medal. You know, it's, mm -hmm. he, I, I would say in that respect, he's much tougher than I, um, I, I wish I had that, that strength. I think I'm strong, uh, but mm -hmm. not, he, he's, he had an overwhelming sense of confidence, uh, in himself, which is admirable. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously am going to take, mm -hmm. I'm going to br bring the woman's touch to the end of, of training and, and he would be maybe a, a more aggressive and so that's where I think maybe our two mm -hmm. systems have worked out really well for me. Um, and that being said, actually, Nick, for mm -hmm. me, is also one of the uh, softer, kinder riders, particularly with a difficult or hot horse. I mean, he could ride anything, but uh, he 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 was his hands mm -hmm. and the way he rides, it, it gave horses confidence and, and made them calm. And you talked about his incredible mental attitude. Um, another question we had through is Sofia Krasikova wants to know, how do you mentally prepare for a big competition? 
Um, I, you know, it's funny. Uh, I try not to think too much. You know, I, I think uh, for a championship, um, I try to not change anything from what I normally do. Um, because when you think about it, it's just basically, it's another horse show. It's another day and it's another class that you're going in. So you just have to, or this is the way I do it. I, I just try to go about the same, same mm-hmm. thing as I always would. And I try not to overthink anything, um, because it's easy to do, particularly if you're at a, an important event where all you have mm-hmm. is that one thing on the day. Uh, people can get really in their heads about it. And so I, um, yeah, I try to keep everything yeah. light and, and, uh, not really get myself too, too, uh, anxious or whatever. And it's, uh, you know, so far it works, <laughs> maybe not all the time, but most of the time. Any particular techniques or any particular things that you do to stay in the zone or maybe to stay out of the zone and keep things light, as you were saying? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, what I try to do, I don't, I, you know, a lot of people like to close themselves off and like listen to music or do, I, I don't do that at all. I, I, I actually try to have conversations with people, keep myself just occupied on something other than sort of what's ahead of me. Uh, when I'm on the thing that I think is the best for me, and I've been lucky, is that um, any anxiety I might have or any any worries, uh, when I get on the horse, I put them away, and I basically just feel what's going on at the moment with my mm-hmm. horse. Concentrate on what I'm feeling. Concentrate on how the horse is. Concentrate and think about what the job is ahead of me but not in a negative. Mm -hmm. I I try to think about just, you know, what my plan is, what my other plan might be if the plan isn't working and uh, just really concentrate. And then actually the minute I step into the ring, it's, it's, yeah, then it's all gone. I mean, then you have no time to think about anything other than what your job is anyways. And the final three questions we've got, and we've asked these, these three questions to everyone on our podcast. Now, you've spoken very emphatically about the fact that you couldn't basically be without horses, but if you hadn't become a rider, if you weren't a rider, what would you be? Well, I think uh, I would have been a lawyer. Oh, wow. Um, I was interested in international law. So I think that was that was what I, what, if I were to have stayed in school, that would have been what I would have uh, aimed towards. And um, I think probably my friends around me would tell me that I would argue well, so it would be fine. <laughs> I would have done well in the courtroom. Um, but I, I, you know, who knows? I, 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 it's just hard to imagine anything without horses, mm. but that, that would be what my standard answer would be. Wow. So you're obviously smart. Were your parents sort of disappointed at all? You didn't pursue an academic career? Uh, no, uh, because one, my mother was horse crazy. Like, or and still is horse crazy like I am so she um she I'm sure she's thrilled my (laughs) father he um it was a losing battle for him (laughs) because between my mother my sister and I it just was it was what it was and um (laughs) my dad was incredibly smart he uh wrote computer programs without ever having taken a course in computers the guy was a genius I wish I had I wish I had his his mind for computers and and that sort of thing but uh I don't think in I don't think either of them ever thought 
I would do anything but what I did. So I think, unfortunately, he passed away in 1989. Um, But I think he would be he would be very pleased if he were around today that it, it went well, you know, that, that, um, I was able to pull it off in some way. So, uh, he, I'm sure he knows, but if he were here, I think he'd be happy. You've certainly pulled it off, Laura. Yes. I think you can, you can safely say that. Um, and another, speaking of being happy, um, what would you say? Would you say I'm happiest when, when are you happiest, Laura? Uh, well, I'm happiest when I'm jumping a really fast, clear round in a jump off, (laughs) I guess. I mean, I'm happiest when I'm riding a horse that is, making me happy you know I I I love I just love riding Mm. and I love uh you know I I love being around people but I really enjoy horses Mm. and dogs (laughs) (laughs) is it the jump off then is it you're a bit of a speed demon is it the dump the the jump off that gives you the real thrill yeah I mean I think you know uh, uh, it's thrilling when you can make a young horse jump a nice clear round it's thrilling when you can uh jump a clear round uh but the jump off is in a big in a grand prix that's what decides whether you win or not yes. you know so i think for me when you can go in and have one of those really fast good rounds that you know after it's finished you you think you wonder to yourself why don't i do that all the time <laughs> um it it seems like at the time at that moment it's very very easy you know it just it works and it happens um and that's it's a fun feeling i mean it's like what happened with Nick and Rio, you know, he just went in and, and, and on that day, it just, it happened. He just, he had one of those jump offs and it all worked. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, it's a happy place. It's a happy, happy moment. It is when it, when it all comes together, there's, there's nothing better. Is there, is there a particular jump off that really sticks in your mind that you remember just being an amazing feeling and an amazing achievement? I had a, I had a mare named Miss Independent, um, and I remember uh, I, at Olympia, actually, I won the Grand Prix with her. And it was just one of those jump offs. She just went in and, and you know, she just nailed it. You know, <laughs> it's hard to, I mean, Cedric had a few that were outstanding that I knew I wouldn't get beat. Um, it's that moment when, you know, you think I've left no stone mm-hmm. unturned. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get me. Those are the moments that are really fun. <laughs> That's great. Um, they don't happen that often, but... Uh, there's there's a few of them um and our final question Laura which is kind of looking back over your career I wish I'd known what 10 years ago is there something if you'd known something 10 years ago do you think you'd you've anything you would tell yourself anything you wish you'd known well it's funny that you asked that because I I actually was talking to a friend of mine uh actually an ex-student Paracelin um a few weeks ago at a show and I said to her she had a, a lovely mare a few years back um and I said to her I said I bet you wish you had her now you know now it's five years later and and she said yeah she said I would I would totally ride her differently and I would be so much more confident and uh I think about that often I mean I think every, you know we're constantly learning and evolving in mm-hmm. what we do with riding and training um, there's new techniques always. There's new ideas. People are always coming up with new things. And, you know, I think uh, even if I go back 10 years and I got Cedric again today, I maybe I would have I'd be able to do things differently. You know, maybe I'd have more success. Uh, 
So, yeah, there's not one sort of particular thing, but I think that uh, definitely if I go back 10 years, I might do whatever horses I had at that time, I might ride them better Mm -hmm. than I did then. Mm. I hope I would anyways. (laughs) But that's an amazing thing, isn't it? That 54 to say you'd ride a horse better now than you would 10 years ago. I mean, are there any other sports in the world you can think of where you can say that, that you've got better you know, you're a female in your 50s and you're at the top of your sport and you think you're better than you were 10 years ago. That's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I uh, yeah, we're lucky in our, our sport. We picked the right one because uh, <laughs> gymnastics, it wouldn't be the same. <laughs> um, now, I well, yeah, I mean, I think it, the, the beauty of our sport, I do believe, is if, if you can maintain your health is, you know, physical strength and whatever... So much of it is mental. Yes. Um, and so, obviously, the older you get, hopefully the wiser. Yeah. And, uh, and again, the more you learn. So I, I'm going to go with that. Yes. <laughs> and I hope that, I that. Uh, like I said, if I, stay, if I stay fit enough, then I can continue. Well, we hope so, because we love watching you. We really do. But thank you so much, Laura. I really appreciate it. Thank you for talking to us. Well, you're very welcome. And thanks to Charles Owen, because we didn't even talk about Charles Owen, but uh, absolutely the best helmet out there. I've worn them. I said I wore them before I was even sponsored. Um, I really uh, appreciate the support. And um, I'll wear them until I don't ride any longer. Speaking of Charles Owen helmets, just a few weeks after I spoke to Laura, she had a very nasty fall while competing and luckily was wearing a Charles Owen helmet, which quite frankly saved her life. So we caught up with Laura after the accident to find out how she was doing and exactly what happened. So Laura, how are you doing? Uh, well, I'm doing great. I think um, it was it was definitely one of those falls that I believe probably looked much worse than um, it ended up being. But uh, big thanks to my uh, Charles Owen helmet because I think that uh, you know, as you as you were saying, um, the horse sort of trampled over me, and in the process of that she stood on my head. (laughs) Um, she also had, you know, got parts of my face, which I think there was, there was a lot of blood, which made it probably look much more dramatic. Um, you know, in addition to the fact that there was a stud hole in my helmet. (laughs) Um, but anyways, lucky for me, I was, uh, I was knocked unconscious. So for the amount of time that I was under, I didn't realize anything that was going on. So I was, I was fine. It's, I think it's often it's more more frightening for the people, the bystanders, isn't it, than than the rider? Definitely. So it sounds like it must be. It must be very, very frightening. So, I mean, was Nick there? Were your family there? My sister was there and Julie Wells, who rides for me, um, and Emil Hendricks, who has been a long time. Um, uh, associate of mine so they were all there and Nick was not there but um it yeah they were all you know I think there was a thought that I was dead wow <laughs> um but uh you know as I said luckily I was just knocked unconscious and I don't think I was out for so long and yeah I mean I think I had a I I felt a pretty quick recovery and how are you feeling now perfect fantastic really good yeah did you break your nose I did yeah 
I broke my nose in two places, but it's fine. It it was fine. And I have stitches in my face, a cut in my lip, but nothing, nothing dramatic at all. There was a post on the Charles Owen Instagram page with the photo, which is quite remarkable, showing that the stud essentially went into the helmet. Now, you were wearing, now the Air 8, it's, it's got a safety standard. It's a Paso 1.5. Um, label on it and it's also a BSI kite mark now that really did save you didn't it I mean that helmet did it did its job didn't it oh my gosh I mean it definitely did and I and you know it's funny I mean I've worn Charles Owen helmets for a long long time and you know I've always known that they are the safest I mean they feel the safest when you're wearing them I've worn other helmets and they don't feel the same I mean these helmets feel like they're locked on I mean I've heard you know, other helmet companies, you know, I've seen bad falls where their helmet exploded and they say, oh, but that's what the helmet is supposed to do. And I, and I remember thinking, that just doesn't sound right to me. Yeah. You yes. know, if you're on yeah. a motorcycle, a motorcycle helmet doesn't explode. No, absolutely. Um, and I, I feel like it's sort of the same with Charles Owen. I've never seen a Charles Owen explode. No. And in this case, it was actually intact um uh, you know apart from where the stud hole yeah, went in yeah. it and a bit of the leather on the outside ripped but um you know it did its job and i just i feel like um you know anyone who does any kind of research whatsoever quickly finds out that charles owen is is miles ahead of any other helmet company out there in safety yes and i think i mean often when things like this happen, about you know, we have an accident. Thank God, obviously, the main thing is you're okay. But what can come out of it is something positive. Is that people, a lot of people, won't even be aware of this of this safety standard, and that lots of helmets don't carry it. And if your helmet is not designed, if it, if it doesn't have the Paso One Five or, or PAS Zero One Five, is it to to give it its full name, then your helmet isn't designed to withstand this level of crush or stud injury. And I think people maybe don't realise that. And hopefully, after seeing this people will be aware of it. I hope so. I actually, the first show that I was back jumping a few weeks ago, um, I had two or three people come up to me and, and who had seen it and said that they were changing helmets, that they were, they had already ordered their uh, Charles Owen. And, you know, it was, it, and this was prior to any of the social media posts or anything. This yes. was just visually seeing. And, and like I said, we've all seen other accidents with helmets that have just you know, blown apart. And I think that this, uh, a lot of people were very, very interested in it. And I do think that the, there's a lot of interest these days in safety. Um, in America right now, there's a huge movement for the, for the vests, the safety vests, which I think is interesting, good movement. But I, I think, you know, in, in the case of my fall, the safety vest wouldn't have done anything for me. I mean, you know, the only the only thing that took the impact was the head. So I think if you're going to wear a safety vest, that's a great idea. But then you best have the best helmet you can on your head. And yeah. then that's about as good as you can do. Exactly. And it's all you can do. It's, you know, it's a dangerous sport. We all know that. But but you've got the right gear on, then you've got the best chance of 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 recovering should the worst happen which we are so glad that you are fully recovered and back out there competing so thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us i know you're which show are you at today laura uh, i'm at the um, at the sunshine tour down in oh, spain nice. and oh, uh, it's beautiful beautiful here so we're very um thankful to be here and competing and out of lockdown 
absolutely. Well, yeah, fingers crossed it, it continues this way. And the best of luck at the show. And thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Absolutely. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you.